Radio. Why the arts are losing the culture war. A talk by John Simmons at the Christopher Dawson Center for Cultural Studies, 2017 Colloquium. So I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of this country and paying my respects to their elders, past and present. Um, what I'm about to say is all going to be misunderstood, or it could be misunderstood. I, I don't think President Trump is a good thing. Uh, I do think universities are a good thing. I'm actually quite keen on the idea of science and technology education, but by the time I finish, you probably think I don't believe any of those things. Um, and I wanted to start with a little vignette, uh, a vignette of these strange times. Uh, and it was a couple of months ago, I don't know whether you remember, but uh, President Trump uh, decided not to go to the, uh, the, the big junket that the American press corps have, where he, he knew he'd just be mercilessly mocked. Why, why, why would he go, you know? Um, and um, I, I remember seeing a, a little news bite about this, and uh, there, there was Donald Trump speaking to an audience in Ohio or somewhere like that, and they were all in baseball caps and check shirts, and he was basically saying, you know, I'm going to get you back to work and all that, and they were all cheering. And then there were the guys in the press club sitting there with uh, their, their dinner jackets and their black ties on, a $1,000 uh, plate dinner, no doubt, uh, saying, you know, we, we, are, we are real news. And whichever way you turn it, you've got to say, who, is the, who are the people who get it? <laughs> whatever it is and whatever get means, who are the people who get it? And if uh, you, you really wanted to understand uh, where um, things are going somewhat strangely at the moment, I guess that little vignette sums it all up, really. Who is it that gets it? And, and I guess that universities, unfortunately, um, are um, rather in the, in the press club camp. Um, those of you who know traditional English pubs will know that in the old days, uh, pubs used to have a public bar and a saloon bar. And in the public bar, the working class and the upper class spent their time getting along nicely together and enjoying themselves. And in the saloon bar, the middle class sat there worrying about it all. <laughs> and I've always characterised most of the universities I've worked in, and I've worked in a fair few universities. In fact, I, I worked out when I retired that in, in some sense or other, in the sense that I, I'd actually got paid for doing something, uh, which I guess is one definition of work. Um, I've worked in over 50 universities on, on every continent except Antarctica. So I kind of know a bit about universities, I guess. And uh, I always think universities are roundly uh, sitting in the saloon bar. Uh, and we've really got to get into the public bar. Anyway, that's, a, that's another question. Um, my wife and I the other day were talking about... Uh, this sort of cheerful <laughs> over-dinner conversation you have, well, what is the thing that we ought to worry about mostly for our grand... <laughs> our, our, <laughs> I know. One of the things we should worry about... Well, I once had dinner with an Albanian who, just as I was about to put my soup in my mouth, said, are you ready for death? Um, <laughs> and... Um, I... But we were worried about... What, what should we worry about most, about what, what is going to be the great challenge for our grandson? who's about 18 months old. And uh, after sort of going through all the normal, normal stuff, you know, global warming, nuclear war, that kind of stuff, uh, we, um, I actually, no, well, we did or I did, I, I, I actually starting to think, and I, I've been thinking this for a while, that um, the work's going to run out. 
And I think if we think about Australia now, let's take Australia absolutely now, okay? Um, there's always going to be work for sort of high-level professional and, and, and technical people. Uh, there's always going to be work for people who are going to be pushing the brooms and digging the roads. There's not going to be work for anybody else. Why should, I mean, we, we could outsource the whole of the work of Australia now. You take Egypt. 37% uh, of graduates in Egypt are unemployed. Only 2% actually of people who haven't got any education at all in Egypt are unemployed, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so there's lots and lots of Egyptian graduates, all bright and worthy people, I've no doubt, who could do the work of Australia for a lot cheaper than we do it. So the question for me is, for my grandson, is uh, basically who's going to pay him not to work? And this paper, in far as it is a paper at all, um, is going to talk a little bit about some of the, I think, the fallacies of, of the way that employment and employability is talked about in, in, in universities at the moment. And I think increasingly the, the extreme jeopardy uh, that universities are in uh, as they rely increasingly on a business model 94% of Australian students believe, and it's always around about 94% in the surveys, that if they get a degree, they'll get a better job than they would have done if they didn't have a degree. And that proposition is still actually largely true, but it is becoming less true. Um, and it's particularly becoming less true in, if, you, if, you if you think about what a good job is in terms of how much money you're going to earn against the opportunity cost of doing a degree in the first place. There's still a lot of integrity in the proposition, but it's becoming less and less. And universities like Australian universities in particular, and British universities are a little bit different in this respect, uh, which depend so very, very heavily on large numbers of students from Asia, are going to get very, very badly burnt by this. And I think it's going to happen quite soon. And there is no plan B. And if you look at Universities Australia, which is, as you know, the, the group that represents universities to government, uh, they're one club golfers. And their club is the Nine Iron, which, as those of you who play golf, which I don't, is a club which hits the ball very high up in the air but not very far forward. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the, the typical University Australia Nine Iron stroke is if you gave us more money, we would do a better job. Oh, we were doing a wonderful job, Steve. We, we, in fact, it's hard to know how we could, but anyway. But if you gave us more money... Now, this, I think I'm going to be very kind, this is a not an evidence-based proposition. And I always remember, about eight or nine years ago, I mean, I should say that I've worked in universities for 41 years, and since 1985... I've been a head of department, a dean, a pro-vice-chancellor, a deputy vice-chancellor, an acting vice-chancellor. So I've spent most of my time in reasonably senior posts in universities. So I'm one of those faceless bureaucrats who whips the compliant academics into shape, if only it were like that. Um, but I was sitting with a group of angry academics, or probably angry workers, as they would have characterised themselves. And they were complaining that in Britain we'd just had a huge hike in university fees. And they said, well, what have you done with all that money? Now, what I would have loved to have said was, well, we bought the Vice-Chancellor of Rolls-Royce, and we now only serve Chateau Petrusa at working lunches. However, there was actually some... I actually had the true answer. And truth is a wonderful thing when you, know, when you actually know you have the truth. What we'd actually done with all the money, every penny of it, was spent it on their pay rise. Every penny. And that is what would happen to more taxpayer money 
poured into universities. Now, now, don't get me wrong, I think academics should be highly paid. I don't have any problem with that at all. But you've got to get real. And if you're saying, well, the, the, the students and the taxpayer co combined to give you another $20 million this year, and you spend it all on a pay rise without any increase in quality, without any increase in productivity, you know, people, if they knew about that, <laughs> they wouldn't be very happy. And of course, my, my, my dear colleagues decided that actually, far from squandering the, uh, the bonus we'd just received, we'd actually spend it very wisely. <laughs> and um, the other thing I would say, and, and this is actually part of what I was uh, talking about um, when I was asking the question to Stephen, I actually don't believe, probably as most people in this room believe, I mean, and let me put it this way, I, I'm deeply imbued in what we might loosely term the, the Western tradition. I mean, I had a Latin lesson every day of my life between the age of 10 and 19, and a Greek lesson every day of my life between the age of 12 and 19. So I kind of know all this stuff. It's just that I don't really believe it, <laughs> in the sense that I, 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 I just don't think that universities have actually been around all that long. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that there are these long traditions of, of the humanities in, in, in the Western world. I think they're, they're, relative modern, they're relatively modern inventions. And it's not so much out with the old and in with the new, as out with the new and in with the new. You know? It's not to say there aren't some very old universities around, and it's not to say that universities don't spend time thinking about their mission. I mean, one of the things that I would say about my, 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 my most recent job is that actually, you know, around the executive table, we didn't actually spend a lot of time thinking about how we should be running the university. I mean, colleagues will have said, I'm not surprised, I can see you didn't. Um, uh, because we had people to do that for us. You know? We, but we did spend a lot of time about thinking what sort of university we wanted to be. Um, and I think people would have been surprised by that. Now, how, how we actually made that concrete is another question. But, but the, the good intention was there, and, and I do think that universities are basically good things that need kind of to be helped out. But what I'm going to talk about um, today are, are, is why um, there's, there's a thing called STEM. Some of you may not, science, technology, education, and mathematics. And um, there, there's a big push at the moment that, that everything should be STEM and that more kids should study STEM and more graduates should study STEM and all, all this kind of thing. And there's all sorts of figures about the employability of STEM graduates and that. And as I'm going to show, uh, two minutes on Google will show that actually hardly any of that's true. What's interesting to me, though, is why... Uh, I won't say alternative facts, but why other... <laughs> But why another uh, argument is, is, is not being put forward more often? So, for example, in Britain in, 20, in, in 2015, 11.7% uh, of uh, computer science graduates are unemployed, compared with 7% of language graduates. Now, I don't know whether that's a statistical figure, or a statistically significant figure or not, but 4% sounds quite big to me, given the size of the sample. Um, but nobody says that. Everyone says, do computer science. I mean, I used to say to students coming, coming into universities, you know, and this, actually, again, it has some truth, if you really want to be employed, do a business degree. And uh, I said it with the dean of business in the room. I didn't see him lurking at the back. It was a bit embarrassing, actually. But it's true. If you look at the United States, um, swathes and swathes and swathes of graduates who have done business degrees are, are unemployed. If you think employment is, is what, what universities should be doing, and, and most students think, think that. Anyway, I want to start with coding. Now, don't, don't, again, don't, don't get me wrong here. I don't have any problem with people learning to code. 
In fact, I think it's a good thing that they should learn to code. I have some big problems about the claims that are made for it. So, uh, here, here's a few uh, quotations. Uh, there's a whole thing, you know, the, the digital age and all that stuff. It all sounds very old hat to me. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I started using a computer sometime in, in the late 70s. You know? <coughs> it sounds, I, I don't know why we're still talking about this, but anyway. Uh, a fundamental skill that che children need to learn so they can lead this movement. This is the movement into the digital world. That's a quotation. Okay. Uh, learning to code is similar to learning a second language. <coughs> I'm, sh I'm sure it is. Uh, learning a second language wouldn't be a bad idea either. <laughs> but, but nobody says that. You know, nobody says that. Um, a lot of the research into, into coding, a lot of the pressure in coding is actually industry funded. I mean, Apple, Apple speaks directly to, to, to President Trump about this, it appears. Why aren't you getting more coding in, into, into universities, into, into schools and universities? And here are six reasons why... Uh, coding is, is recommended at the moment. It's a widely used language. Well, that's true, but so is French, so is Arabic. Uh, connected devices shape our world, so we need to understand code. I don't know. Do, do we? Do we? Um, I, mean, I don't know how my car works. doesn't stop me driving it. Um, kids learn better when they're young. Didn't know that. Um, <laughs> coding is creative Ab absolutely I'm sure it is and that, that's, that sounds to me a good reason for learning it it teaches problem solving critical thought the same so do many other things though and you can tell stories through codes and again of course you can but you can do that through many other words so I'm not actually taking issue with, with what is said about this I, I do take issue, though, with, with the fact that the arguments for it seem to me to be arguments which could be equally well made for many, many things, notably learning foreign languages. And, uh, and we, don't, we don't hear anything um, from the constituencies that might argue for those things. And I'm going to talk about why, why, why that is. The other interesting thing about the coding uh, fashion is that it is uh, very commonplace to hear, and we've heard it from two or three speakers here, uh, that we don't know what the jobs of the future are going to be. And again, I don't know whether that's not all, 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 always uh, been true, to tell the truth, but perhaps it's becoming more true if things can be more true. Um, but what does strike me as undoubtedly true is that if coding really is going to be uh, a thing that everyone needs to know and that anyone who wants any kind of employment at all will know have to code, uh, that doesn't suggest to me that everyone's going to grow up to be Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. It suggests to me that everyone's going to grow up to be a data entry clerk. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong, no, no shame in being a data entry clerk. But let, let's get real about this. This is not going to be a high-level, high-entrepreneur, high-impact job. This is going to be about... Uh, you know, fi fi fixing the bugs in the proprietary accounting system. That's, uh, that's what it's going to be about. So let's be honest. If we're going to say that everyone needs to learn to code, let's be honest about saying, you know, what, what does that actually mean? And it doesn't mean you're, go you're going to be a, a, a big entrepreneur. Um, because if you're going to be a not big entrepreneur, uh, you would be that anyway. And universities, I mean, most coding nowadays, as far as I can see, uh, for adults, at anyway, is taught through MOOCs and through other things like that. Uh, universities won't have much of a role to play, I don't think. So, 
what apparently is going to be the biggest single uh, force in determining the employability prospects of young people who are just about being born now uh, will be something which universities have no role in. Whichever way you turn it. I mean, you know, teach, teaching coding, you don't need to go to university to learn how to code. That's the specific example. Uh, I now want to talk about um, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And as I say, I mean, obviously, I don't have any problem with, with people learning these, these disciplines. And I think people should. You know, I'd, I'd rather drive over bridges which are built by engineers than built by classicists. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so I don't have any problem with it. It's just that I, I just think there are some rather ill-considered claims made about what, what, what the benefits of, of this is simply um, with regards to employability. And again, a curious silence on behalf of universities and academics in, in the face of these claims, which as I was saying to someone in the tea break, you've only got to spend two minutes on Google to see that most of them aren't true. I mean, I haven't had to go delving deep into anything to find this out. I mean, I've actually looked at the figures produced by the chief scientist of Australia, scientist of Australia himself in defence of the position that more people should study STEM. And the figures don't actually prove his point. Or if they do, they prove it very marginally. And I'll give you some of them. You can make up your own minds. Um, one of the biggest problems, of course, is that when you look at uh, uh, what actually STEM graduates... Um, uh, I mean, look, look, well, graduate unemployment in Australia runs, uh, as a, uh, for non-STEM graduates, around about 4.1%. Okay. For STEM graduates, it runs at 3.7%. So there is a small truth that if you have a degree in a STEM subject, you are more likely to be, less likely to be unemployed than if you have a degree in a non-STEM subject. But whether 0.4% is a statistically important difference or not, I don't know. And nor does anyone say. It doesn't say that in the chief scientist's paper. So I don't know whether it's an important difference or not. Um, what's more interesting, though, is, is what um, STEM graduates actually go into. And if, if, if you look at it, you see, because it's one thing saying that you've got more chance of getting a job. There's another thing saying you've got more chance of getting a job which is actually related to STEM. So, for example, maths, which is one of the, the, the least employable... I mean, if, you know, don't get a maths degree. Um... <laughs> But if you do get a maths degree, your most likely outcome is you're going to be a maths teacher. Now, that's, I mean, and that's fine, you know, we need maths teachers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what, but what, 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 what you don't become, by and large, is someone that's going to do the kind of hard, hard lifting on big engineering or big science projects. That's what you don't become. I mean, there's one or two of those, but mostly you're going to, you're going to teach maths to kids who probably don't really want to learn maths. So... Similarly, uh, it's true of um, astronomers and physicists. What do astronomers and physicists do when, when they graduate? Well, I can't resist this. Well, it ain't rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> they do all sorts of stuff. But, you know, and it, and it stands to reason. I mean, you know, how many jobs for astronomers and physicists are there? I mean, it's the same, it's, and it's the same with historians. I mean, you know, 
I, I had a, a student once, she's now quite a, a well-known academic in England, and she came from an old, uh, one of the old East End Jewish families. I mean, they're gone now. And her dad was a tailor of, of that old East End Jewish tradition of tailors who would actually... And uh, when she went to university, first in family and all that kind of stuff, uh, what are you going to study? I'm going to study English. Her dad said, what are you going to do? Open an English shop. <laughs> this, is, this is actually true. She told, she told me that herself, so I assume it's true. I mean, and, uh, you know, physicists, physicists and astronomers do not open physics and astronomy shop. They do all kinds of stuff. Same as historians. I mean, how many, you know, how many historians does any country need? Well, it's not going to. It's not actually that that many. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't study history. It doesn't mean you're not going to be. You, well, you, you all know all this stuff. I'm preaching to the choir. I know, but you know. Um, but it's the same with a lot of science, with a lot of science degrees as well. It, it's not as. It's not quite as as simple as it as it looks. And the other thing is that when you actually look at the figures for the STEM uh, qualifications you'll find that the great majority of people in Australia who are employed who have STEM qualifications uh, have them through the VET system. They don't have them through universities. So the tie between um, getting a university degree in a science like chemistry or physics or astronomy or whatever, engineering is actually slightly different. Engineering is not a bad one to do, actually. Um, and getting a university degree is very, very weak. And yet, I don't think that many people say this. Um, the wisest um, statement on, on this that I've seen uh, comes from the Australian Productivity Commission, who, who basically say, and this is apropos of coding, but it applies to STEM as well, um, you know, we actually don't, it goes back to that whole thing, we actually don't know. What, what the future contours of employment are going to be like. Uh, but, um, you know, there's a thing out there called the market. <laughs> and if the market works properly, it'll kind of tell us what they are. And, 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 and there's no point in, uh, in, in backing coding <laughs> against backing anything else. It's just a punt against a very unpredictable long-term future. So, you know, there are, there are, some, there are some sane things that, that can't come out of these things. And the Chronicle of Higher Education, the American Chronicle of Higher Education in 2013, an article on this, um, in this po pointed out that actually making the same point as the Productivity Commission last year, uh, most, most of the research in this is actually uh, done by the industry itself or by industry-funded um, not-for-profits. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a very, very um, conflicted field in, in, in that way. Now, why is it, though, that universities and humanities, academics, and so forth seem to be uh, silent in the face of this? Um, I mean, it's not because they're idiots. It's not because they're um, so bound up. And, and I actually also don't buy this thing that all, all humanities are academics, uh, humanities humanities, academics are so sort of tied up with um, ideological trash that, that they can't think straight. Uh, it's, it's not. I mean, most academics actually are trying to do quite a good job, actually, and, and so forth. But um, what I actually think is going on 
is that universities and the academics within it, within, within them, are basically behaving rationally, given the incentives which drive their sector and the incentives which drive their individual careers. So, if you want to understand why no one, why universities don't say, actually, I don't know that this STEM, STEM thing is such a, so true, actually, uh, look at the incentives which drive universities. If you want to understand why humanities academics say, well, actually, uh, our language graduates get more jobs than your computer graduates, uh, why don't they say that? Look at the incentives which drive their careers. And I'm going to talk about that uh, for the last uh, five minutes of my presentation. Uh, most Australian universities do research, of course they do, and many do a great deal of research. Uh, if you want to make a dollar in a science field in an Australian university, you have to invest about 30 cents. So it's not bad business. Make a dollar, spend 30 cents, you get a dollar back. Not a bad business deal. If you want to make a dollar in humanities and arts research, you have to spend significantly more than a dollar. The biggest sum I've, I've found so far is $102 to, to make a dollar. Um, and that's for a department which is in the top 100 in the world in its discipline. So they're doing great research. It's not their fault. There's just no money in what they do. But when you look at what the university has to invest to enable them to do that, it's $102 to the dollar, which is not, I can test, a sustainable business model. <laughs> and... I mean, the thing about Lee, I mean, I said they're in the top 100 thing in the world. I mean, lead, lead to, I mean, like all senior academic managers in universities, I will always say uh, the lead tables are not worth the paper they're written on, uh, except when you get a good result. <laughs> but um, so, so the incentives to universities, solely in terms of the way that research drives their business model, I mean, forget knowledge, forget wisdom, forget any of that stuff, simply in the way that it drives their business model, is to do more science. And if you ask a Dean of Science, and I've asked them, what is your idea of the best student? Now, I think the best student is a student who we recruit and who finishes the qualification for which we registered them in the time that they were set to finish. And I don't care whether they pass by 1% or whether they win the university medal. What I want to see is students who complete the degrees that we registered them for. What a Dean of Science will tend to say is that the best students are those who are going to go on to do PhDs. Okay? So, 90% of the students forget them, for start. And I was shocked a couple of years ago, talking to my wife's nephew, who's a very nice young man, a hugely talented young scientist in one of the best Australian universities. Um, I think one of the best anyway, Melbourne. Um, this is this, and now now he's in, he's going on to great things. But this was actually while well, he was still actually uh, a, 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 a doing his doctorate, and he was having to do some bit of teaching, and he was talking about the necessary evil. And I said, "What do you mean by the necessary evil?" And he said, "Well, the students." I mean, this is this is a guy who hadn't even got a PhD, you know. It's just astonishing, and that that's that's wrong, you know. I mean, I'm old-fashioned. I actually think that teaching is actually part of the, an important mission of universities. And I am, in fact, a bit like my, my friend Stephen. But I mean, I, even, I always taught. I never had a point when I didn't at least do some teaching in, in my entire career. 
and so I mean I, I mean I, I got pretty bad at it actually because it's it, it's not as I got older I got worse at it but um, you know I always thought it was important you've got to be in touch with the students I mean that's why students come to universities and that's you know if you ask students what they remember about universities it tends to be good teaching if you if they can find any um, but the incentives that drive academics drive them away from that no matter what they might want to do um, it's really difficult to get promotion in an Australian university solely on the proposition that you are a good teacher. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. I don't actually buy this idea. I mean, I spend a lot of time in universities. I actually don't believe that there are these academics out there who are, complete, who are completely non-research active and who are great teachers. I've seen very, very few of those. I've seen a lot of lazy people who don't do much of anything. Um, but there used to be some around. But they're not very thick on the ground now, if there are any left at all. And so, if you are trying to make your way in the academic world, um, whether you, you know whatever field you're in, if you're in science particularly, but even if you're in the humanities now, um, if you're not pressing the, the the accelerator on your research, you're probably not going to get very far. Why do I say? Why, why is that? Is that is that relevant to what, what I'm saying? Because. Um, those, that, that, those particularly insular obsessions uh, make it irrelevant. The fact that, you know, to, to, to argue uh, in favour of the humanities uh, against uh, employability fallacies in, in, in science and technology, it's just irrelevant. Why would you bother? Your, your, your career will run the same, whatever happens. You don't need to do that. You might care about it, I'm not saying you don't care about it, but it doesn't matter whether you do it or not. And I think this is, as I say, the, the, the fact that you can, you can go down and you can, you can demonstrate that there the, is the, the, actually very little truth in the propositions that are talked about in coding, there's very little truth in the propositions that are talked about in STEM, but no one really says that. You just look at it, it's just economically rational behaviour. And it, it's, it's just... Uh, you know the, the, the everyday self-interest of people who are trying to make their way in the world that uh, explains it. So what's going to happen? I mean, it all it all feels uh, in a way it's a very old thing. You know that we've got to do science, but what's actually going to happen? I think this is what I think is going to happen. Uh, the taxpayer will fork out a lot of money, which will be wasted because the government will will hitch their hitch their their their, their 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 horses to the stem wagon or the coding wagon and that'll look as if it's going to be uh, another magic bullet and uh, you know there'll be a lot of money spent on that to no good end a load of the young australians will be persuaded uh, to do stuff that they didn't really want to do or didn't like to do because there's a I think mendacious is too strong a word, but a fairly false argument that they'll get a better job than they would have done if they had just stuck to their guns and done the thing that they wanted to do. I suppose, and and uh, the, the students will, I think, maybe one day uh, start start to walk. They'll start to realise, you know, that um, they can they can they can do a MOOC with Coursera, 
get the same employability out, 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 outcomes for a thousand dollars that they can get for a hundred thousand dollars or whatever uh, it costs totally to go to university. And the thing is, the model doesn't actually work all that well. I mean, if you look at Australians, uh, the current model just doesn't work anyway. I mean, Australian universities have no really reliable way of choosing their best students. Um, you know, and I used to chair the New South Wales Deputy Vice Chancellor's Committee, and I used to sit on the New South Wales Vice Chancellor's Committee, so I know how these things work. Uh, mostly we have no reliable way of, uh, of choosing the best students. I mean, we kind of ignore the, uh, the, the correlations around uh, high school scores and achievement and so forth, and just sort of say, well, I've got high, high, high ATAR, you know, we'll take them. Um, it doesn't, of course, work. Um, Australia punches below its weight. If you look at patents and so forth as, a, as, a, as, a, as an index of the scientific health and innovation of a country, um, you'll, you'll see that Australia uh, punches uh, below its weight in the number of patents that, that come out of Australia. Uh, depending on which figures you read, we're either the 17th in the world or the lowest in the world strange in the more 17 countries in the world, uh, on uh, industry collaboration with universities. Um, you know, we, it's not actually a, a particularly good figure. I mean, interesting enough, if you look at the inter intellectual property uh, reports that come out every year nowadays, you'll see that they actually report rather dismal figures, and they're usually preceded by a preface from a minister saying, this has been a great and, and it's the same with the STEM thing. You know, you, 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 you put out a report from the chief scientist's office saying that, you know, STEM is the way, and if everyone did STEM, they'd all get jobs. And then you produce a, a load of figures which don't actually demonstrate that at all, and nobody says anything. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so, as I say, maybe one day students will, will, will start to, um, to complain about it, and you ask a student, well, you know, I just gave you ten thousand dollars. What did I? What did I actually get for it? And you say, well, you know, we, we spent it on on, on on a new particle collider. Whatever. Was that? Oh, we spent well. We spent it on salaries. Yeah, I mean, and, and that is that is the reality. And, and as I say, I'm not I'm not kind of excoriating everyone. I think people are all, you know, more or less people. Everyone everyone is of goodwill trying to do their best. Uh, but they're behaving rationally in, in a system where, where the drivers do not encourage uh, the best results and do not encourage, I guess, the kinds of things that the, 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 the people in this room uh, would like to see. Uh, but I, as I say, I don't actually attribute much in the way of motivation to it. I, I just think it's, uh, it's kind of understandable behaviour given the way things, things are. That's it. That was John Simmons with Why the Arts Are Losing the Culture War. This presentation was part of the Christopher Dawson Centre for Cultural Studies 2017 Colloquium on the theme Liberal Education, Restoring the Notion of Education as the Basis for Living the Good Life, which was hosted in Hobart, Australia. For more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.